0: you lovely to be with you and thanks to richard for the invitation to come i know you had to tweak your calendar slightly uh, association sundays normally in november i believe but thank you for uh, for doing that that suited very well uh, for me indeed uh, i bring you official greetings from the association of our churches as richard says almost 120 creeping uh, towards that and, and very soon god willing uh, right, f- right throughout the whole island of ireland And uh, that's wonderful because sometimes we, in one sense, which is good, we we lock ourselves into our own area where we minister and we focus on that. That is good at a certain level. But then to remember that there are many other churches who are like-minded and doing the same things. And we can pray together, we can work together, we can do things that we couldn't do on our own together because of our association. So you have Baptist Youth, Baptist Women, the Irish Baptist College, um, and just so much more that, that fits in there. And it's great to hear that you've got a, a bye team coming, and that's wonderful for next year. I knew there were a lot of uh, teams had been applied for, but it was going to be impossible to fill those teams and uh, just to send out there as well. So thank you for all that you do. We are all independent churches and yet we're vitally interdependent we depend upon each other so we can do those things as we have our college our women our, our youth uh, and, and missions of course as well working in peru to a certain degree and mervyn scott's actually there at the moment uh, and then france sounds great to hear you have the sandals coming on board i was wondering where they're coming home and i didn't know that uh, but they're coming online and that's great, and, and the others who are working in, in Spain as well, and of course throughout Ireland itself too. Uh, one of the privileges of being president is that you, you get to do things, and one of the things that we're hoping to do in the will of the Lord is that, that my wife and myself, Barbara and myself, are hoping to go to France in, in March and to visit the missionaries in their context, and for Barbara just to chat to the ladies and have a, well, she doesn't drink tea or coffee, but you get the idea, coffee together, or in her case a dad Coke, Uh, and just mix together and just hear what's going on on the ground. It's not all sweetness and light. We know that. We're in the Lord's work. We're in a battle. Um, But just to be part of of that work, and Mervyn's coming along with us uh, as well to guide us and direct us and, as he says, carry our bags and all that sort of stuff. But it's lovely to be able to work together, and thank you so much uh, for what we can do there. Dundonald itself, believe it or not, has has a very special place in my heart. I'm not just thinking about the Baptist Church, I'm thinking about the village as it once was. Uh, I'm not guessing that anybody here will remember it as a a village where there was a place called Gape Row. If you read some of the history books, you might find that. But going back a generation, it was a very small place. It wasn't part of Belfast. And yet in the goodness of God, there was a, a young man in his Uh, early years, 13, 14, maybe 15, traveled down with his parents uh, for work purposes. And they traveled down from a place called Rathkenny outside Ballymina. At the same time, there was a young lady who traveled from East Belfast with her family out to the Cumber Road. Somehow under God, they met. And I'm one of the offspring uh, of that meeting, and it's wonderful. And my father and mother, when they get married, their first house was just on this end of the Reagan Road. So I know exactly where that is. And we have we have uh, family members who are buried in the cemetery uh, just up there. So Dundonald has that special place because it's part of my history. I always love to hear uh, about it. But enough about me. Uh, I want to read again from God's Word, not the same portion, but I asked Richard to read that portion for a specific purpose. And it's all about the wonder of the treasure, who is Jesus, the Christ. I would like us to turn to Romans chapter 1, and just to read three verses there as we come and we open God's word together. It's interesting when you look around the world how many people treasure things, and, and we do as well. We have got, all got our treasures Of some shape or form hopefully they're not the the first things uh, but Christ is first in everything but when you read through Romans you read these words that set the scene and we'll just look at the context in a moment or two but right down there in verse 15 of chapter 1 sorry for the guys at the back you're gonna have a jump here Uh, the Apostle Paul says I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are at Rome or in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith but well, that's not primarily where we're going it's setting this scene if you want to jump forward Romans chapter 8 uh, is where we're going with that one and if we could have that first uh, slide up if that's possible please. the wonderful treasures the greatest treasure we have is the Lord himself. Jesus Christ. I was sharing, uh, Richard was saying about time for the meals and the dinners, uh, and our evergreens, the seniors one, was on yesterday at lunchtime, and I was invited along to that, and to give a little epilogue as well, and I was trying to just focus folks' minds upon Jesus, because he is the obvious of Christmas, and quite often, even Christians And those who were there yesterday who are not yet believing in Christ as their Savior and Lord miss the obvious. And yet the obvious is that he is everything. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's a wonderful statement and it categorizes perfectly the presence of the Lord in connection to our world and why he came. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul is one, and probably not associated just as much with Christmas. We we think of John and his unique style in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And he made his dwelling among us. And and that's one aspect of, of the Christmas story. The others, Luke and Matthew in particular, tell it from Joseph's line and from Mary's line, and they join again in the person of the Lord Jesus. But probably thinking of Christmas, we don't often think of the Apostle Paul because he's not part of the narrative, the story of those first days of leading up to the birth and from the birth itself itself. And yet he is the one, perhaps more than any of the New Testament writers who gives us that picture of what it means for the Christ to come into the world, what it means for him personally, what it means for the church, whether it's in Rome or some of the other places he's writing to, like the church at Philippi. He has this treasure. In fact, he describes the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as a treasure that is within him, this jar of clay. And it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Our association is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The little strap line for Baptist missions is proclaiming Christ, planting churches. Planting churches on its own is no good. Plenty of people could do that all over the world. But if we have not proclaimed Christ and Christ has not been accepted by people, then there will be no his church. There will be no Jesus church, but He is the treasure for us all, and that's why whenever this writing this wonderful book of Romans, which is so full, and I have to say at times so intricate and difficult to understand. I remember as a young Christian uh, at college, and during the summer months, I went back to my old job uh, and did a bit of work baking buns and soda and things and little home bakery or more. And I stood at the end of our road and waited for a lift to take me just a mile into Drumore. And it was during those summer mornings that I actually read through, because I knew the folks were going to be late, read through the book of Romans, probably a chapter, at, standing at the side of the road. I'm sure the lorry drivers going past were wondering, what is that guy doing? At uh, 5.30 in the morning, reading a book, uh, if they only knew. But the study of the book of Romans is is tremendous and it opens up the reasons for the treasure. The first part explains all about the good news of Jesus, who is the treasure, being right with God through the righteousness that only God can give, the perfection of Jesus given to us, given to me. And then really from, I suppose, seven on to the end, you have all the practical aspects of living out the Christian life and one of the most beautiful and, and heartwarming chapters and honest chapters is Romans chapter 8 and that's really where our our theme is taking us as Paul opens up there about the treasure that is Jesus Christ can we have the next slide up please Thank you. there are several places and things that we would be familiar with and I believe are, are opened up in this. They're, they're my words, those, uh, just of pictures, but they're just how I read it uh, just in the last few days, what this is, is really like. And the first place as we seek and find the treasure who is Jesus, we find it in the courtroom. Romans 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no longer condemned. It's interesting where Romans 8 lies in proximity to Romans 7. Now, when these words were written and penned by the Apostle Paul, we didn't have chapters, we didn't have verses. But right before that, following on, or going backwards rather, in the letter, you've got Paul saying, what am I like? I don't want to think that way, but I think that way. I don't want to do those things, but I do those things. I don't want to act in that way, but that's how I act. I don't want to speak in that way, but that's how I speak. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will rescue me from this life that I live? Because my life at times does not honor the Lord Jesus. then he says in verse 25 of Romans 7, Thanks be to God. Why? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. The treasure opens up. Therefore, I no longer stand condemned because I am in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. The judge in the courtroom has declared that. The judge is God himself and tells us that we can have a treasure who is Jesus because we are no longer condemned. And I could hear maybe a voice coming back from a secular world or a voice coming back from a very religious, even Christianized uh, person or, or group saying, but why would I be condemned in the first place? Well, we're condemned because each one of us, although we may not be out and out evil, And I was reading this this morning in my own devotions. A man called James Montgomery Boyce tells us, isn't it wonderful about the grace of God that God has not let us go so far that we see Satan as God, Satan as sovereign of the universe, Satan as everything, but there is enmity between God or between Satan and between the offspring of Eve, us. God restrains that. We know what is right and what is wrong in our minds and our hearts. We have a conscience. Even though before this perfect and holy God, who is right in every way and whose embodiment in Jesus Christ on the earth, when he said nothing wrong, he did nothing wrong, he thought nothing wrong, when I compare my life to his, I have to stand before God and say, I'm wrong. moving from the birth of Jesus to the death of Jesus on the cross, one of those men who had previously ridiculed the center cross person, Jesus. Eventually, after growing silent and something changing in his mind, said to his co-accused on the other side of Jesus, pointing to the cross, this man, Jesus, this man has done nothing wrong. And that, in a sense, is our God. There is no wrong in God. And the mystery of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit are three and yet one. We'll read the verses, and I'm sure you will too, over this Christmas season from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He is the mighty God, the everlasting Father. I don't understand that. But I know that three are one and one are three in a way that mathematical systems can't put together, but that's our God. He's perfect. And before him, I am told that I live in darkness. I am told that I am dead to God spiritually. I am told that I am deserving of a lost eternity because the way I have lived before this God, because he cannot know sin. And in the words of that uh, simple hymn that came out years and years ago, teaching children, not that defileth, not that defileth can ever enter in into heaven. So I stand condemned and yet, the Apostle Paul, here having just explained how his life is difficult, says, But there's no condemnation upon me. And the reason being, because he is in those words, in Christ Jesus. There are many systems of belief, even in Christendom, in the Christian world. They're not always right, some of them are very wrong. One of them you may be familiar with, it may be your, your background. Um, but it can span a lot of um, church teachings. And it's the case of very simply like in Eden and from that day, if I do my best, surely God will one day look upon me in favor. And it's almost like saying, as some teach, You build up in this life, keep yourself as good as you can, as pure as you can, and one day at the end, God will give to you, because of your effort, his rightness, his righteousness. That's a long shot waiting on that coming, especially when the the Bible doesn't actually teach that. The Bible teaches that the moment, like that thief on the cross, like Paul on that road who cried out, Lord, who are you? And worked that through in those early days, saying sorry to God, saying sorry, but thank you that Jesus died on that cross for me and I no longer stand condemned. And he tells us that, yes, that's true. I don't condemn you because I have already condemned you in the cross or on the cross and in the person of my Savior and Lord, or my son, rather, as God says, my son, Jesus, Savior and Lord. And because he's been condemned, I will never be condemned. God doesn't judge twice for the same sin. Jesus paid it, then I am free when I accept that. Righteousness, then we live out the righteousness of Jesus. That's what it means to outwork that righteousness. But we stand with this treasure who is Jesus, not condemned, even though even though we all have a Roman 7. Isn't that right? I'm not going to labor the rest as long as that, by the way. But let's look at the next one 9 to 11 and we're just picking some things out here paul writing says you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit if in fact the spirit of god dwells in you anyone who does not have the spirit of christ does not belong to him but if christ is in you although the body is dead because of sin the spirit is life because of righteousness if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. You see that bit in you? In, in our body, in our life. I was very strangely attending three funerals this week. Uh, one of them I was preaching at, the other two I just had to be there uh, because of connections. And I was learning and listening. And I was sharing with the minister on Friday who spoke. I said, That's what I've been looking for, that little illustration. Because he had preached from 2 Corinthians, another letter written by Paul, chapter 5, and talked about the tent, this, this tent. And tents are, are not permanent, they're temporary. And when this tent, this earthly tent that we live in will be destroyed, we go to be with the Lord. And one day then we will have that perfect mansion, heavenly place. But at this point in time, we find a treasure, a treasure that lives within me. We mentioned uh, earlier from chapter 4 of Second Corinthians, we have this treasure that is Christ in jars of clay. That, that's what we are. Sometimes we think we're maybe more than that, but we are jars of clay. We get sick, we get ill, we break down. Eventually we die, but not our soul. Not the Christ who is within us, who is connected to us. And what Paul is saying there, we have a treasure even at this particular time in life. But those words are significant, in Christ. Or Christ in you. It's all there in those words. That's what a Christian is, isn't it? Someone in whom the Spirit of Christ Himself actually dwells. And thirdly, we have that that family aspect. Look at 14 or 12 through to, sorry, 14 to 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God who dwells within us, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, can I say, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It goes on to say and if we're children we are heirs of god fellow heirs with christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him isn't it a wonderful treasure to say to the lord jesus thank you for thoroughly recognizing me as one of your own in fact the one of your own in hebrews is described as a brother And it's the generic term. So, sisters, you're in that as well. Don't don't worry about that. Brothers. And we're also told in Hebrews in that same passage that this Jesus, who is our treasure, is not ashamed to call us brothers. And we live in Romans 7. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. I was sharing at that funeral service on, on Thursday an illustration that was given to me where we're on entry into heaven itself. It'll not be a case of of the child of God looking around to see where Jesus is. It will be Jesus who has walked when the earthly hands have separated in that hospital ward or that bed or wherever it might have been, if that's one of those cases, and Jesus takes the hand and he leads his child into heaven itself and then he introduces that child of God to the rest of the angels and the people of God and Jesus introduces that person this is my brother this is my sister and I'm not ashamed of them that's how precious Jesus is the family and we are joint heirs with Jesus having been adopted into his family. We could open up and spend the rest of our time even on that word adoption. It's so wonderful and beautiful and has depth in the things of God. But we are in the family of God by his grace. Then the next one's a little bit different. Look at verses twenty, sorry, 18, then 22 and 23. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. If we were to read on down, we read about creation falling apart. And then we read in verses uh, 22 and 23, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have, the first fruits of the spirit, grown inwardly, as we eagerly await the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. In those same passages, Second Corinthians four, leading into Second Corinthians five, the Apostle Paul talks about light and momentary troubles. Now, for someone in his case who was waiting. Potentially to be executed, which did happen. He talks about a light and momentary trouble. In Romans 8.18, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Paul, how do you get to a point like that? Light and momentary troubles? All the things of this life that harass us not worth comparing with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Let me say, first of all, that we live a dual life. It's not a a wrong concept when you think about it biblically. We have the Spirit of God within us, God's nature in me, but I also have my nature. And my nature and the nature of God, this dual place and person for now goes to the workplace, goes to the office, is at home, sits in a waiting room in a hospital or in a hospital bed. And yet the treasure that we have there is Jesus Christ. Because what Paul is doing here is making a comparison. Lifting our eyes from the, the mundane, the hurtful, the life with all its complications and hassles, and gets our eyes focused on heaven. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Yes, we are active and operative in this life as his servants, in church, together, in fellowship, a picture of what is to come. We share the gospel with the world around us in in many different places and many different good ways leading to the cross, leading to the empty tomb, but we do it as broken people. We do it as people who live in jars of clay. And if you know the story of Gideon, and I think that's where Paul gets that uh, concept from, Gideon took 300 men and they stood around at the top of a a crater-like place and they blew trumpets and they smashed jars of clay. And light came on and light dispersed the darkness, literally down in the valley below. You can read it for yourself. But Paul, as he teaches elsewhere as well, is saying, let's keep our minds and our hearts on above. We're traveling through. We are tent people. We're not here forever. Peter, who was with Jesus, who saw Jesus at the cross, who saw the risen Lord and was wonderfully restored, says himself that we are strangers. We're pilgrims. We're we're passing through. Keep the focus. But our treasure is Christ. So we were getting difficulty at the office or the factory floor or the home, relationships breaking down, or the waiting room where we've heard news perhaps that is really touching into our hearts and lives about ourselves or about a loved one. In Christ, light and momentary troubles. In Christ, no comparison. I love those words from Romans 8.18. And the word, by the way, comparing, is the word originally that took a different line but ends up at our word computer. And it's as if Paul puts in all, he types in all the things that he's going through, all the things that he's been through, all the things that life can throw at us. And then he presses the button that is marked heaven. And up it flashes on the screen. No comparison. No comparison. And yet we will meet people, we will live with people whose investment of life and energy in every way is in this little piece of eternity here. And the Bible teaches us to lift our eyes out of that. And on to eternal aspects but our treasure is jesus and finally that forever residence those words from 29 on for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. What then shall we say to these things? Rhetorical question. If God is for us. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son for us, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things for the factory floor, the office, the home, the waiting room, the life? It's a rhetorical question. The question is, no, he will not. If he has given Jesus, there's nothing he's going to withhold that we need. And right down to those lists, who shall separate us, verse 35, from the love of Christ? Another rhetorical question doesn't need answering. The answer summed up in those lists that Paul gives or gives to us in, in 38 to the end, or even verse 35 as well. There's nothing. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. We have that forever place, and it's with him forevermore. As a young Christian and a young Christian as a first year in the Baptist College. We had the opportunity to come to a church not far from here, up in gilnaherk to hear a man called John Blanchard. He's now with the Lord. He became a, a friend of a few of us a long time after that, but I had not known him, but I'd heard of him. I'd read some of his, his books. Uh, and he preached that night on Romans chapter 8 and 30. And he he put across it so simply. I've probably complicated it this morning. He put it across so simply. Those whom God predestined, he called. The gospel came into the life of a dead person like me and brought me to faith. Those he called, he also justified. At that moment, God declared me just in the light of what Jesus Christ had already done for me. Those he justified, he also glorified. One day in heaven itself, I'd be like Jesus. But the way John Blanchard put it across was this. He said, you take predestined, called, justified, and they're all written in the past tense. What about glorified? Ah, but that's not for the future or until the future. (laughs) It's speaking about the future. But then he says it's also written in the same tense in the original language. So certain is our glory that it's written as if it's already happened. Isn't that wonderful? There's no I hope to be one day in heaven if I am good enough. God says if we are in Christ, and that's the key, by faith, simple faith and trust, Martin Luther struggled with that, but he came to recognize it. Jesus had done it all. And those words are written as if they've already happened, particularly the glorified part. So certain is our faith, was the teaching of John Blanchard that night. I've never forgotten that message uh, to the glory of his name. We could open that up and then travel further with it. Well not, that's enough. For this morning. But let me say just in closing. There's a lovely little verse. And it says simply. It's not a verse in the Bible by the way. But it's from the scriptures. The theme. You'll know the song if You've started singing it. Christ our hope. In life and death. It's very simple. But it's very clear. Christ our hope in life and death that's the message of christmas isn't it that's the message of the treasure who is jesus christ the lord let me simply ask you is that your treasure i I can't answer that for you richard and the other members of this church can't answer that we've got to answer it is jesus your treasure you may know about him but not know him The other question for those of us who are believers is very simply this. Is my life so given over to him that he is my treasure and others see it? And in those words as we close, Christianity is the total commitment of all I know of me to him, to all I know of Jesus Christ. It's not a drib-drab, bit, 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 and hope that one day it works. Christianity is the total commitment of all I know of me to all I know of Jesus Christ. And William Temple, former Archbishop of Canterbury, I believe if that's the William Temple it referred to, knew that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the treasure that is Jesus. We thank you into our lives by your grace revealing, sharing, imputing the perfection, the righteousness of Jesus. We belong to him. Lord, through this Christmas season and beyond, in all aspects of life, we pray that we will all know the preciousness of Christ as Savior and Lord. In his name, we pray.